So I spent 10 hours close to writing a proposal for a potentially very big client. They were going to spend a lot of money. And we ultimately didn't win it because I didn't ask one simple question during our discovery meeting. And what question was that? What is your budget? Oh my goodness. Tell me a little bit more because I think we've all done it. Yeah. So we're, we're in this client pitch and you were actually with me on this client pitch. It was going to be a very big restaurant chain. They're growing and expanding and they needed the works, digital advertising, website, branding. Like, I mean, it was, it was big, big, big client. And we left that meeting. We took a lot of notes. We asked a lot of questions, but we didn't ask, what's your budget? And so I literally came home and spent like that whole weekend, 10, it had to have been at least 10 hours putting this proposal together with all this, what we're going to do for them. The proposal itself took about four and a half hours to put together. The rest of that time, I agonized over, how much am I going to charge? Do I charge them monthly? Is this too much? What's their budget? Am I not charging enough? All because I didn't ask, what is your budget? Welcome to the Mad Couch Cast. I'm your host, Kendra Gill, and I'm here to help service-based business owners like you create space in your business to ditch the daily hustle and build a business that you love. As a teacher turned certified director of operations, I'll be sharing my strategies on how to free up your time so that you can work in your zone of genius. We'll discuss topics like business planning, systems and processes, productivity, operations, and leadership mindset. Each week, we'll explore ways to build a business that truly brings you joy. So buckle up because it's time to go from feeling stuck to setting yourself up for success. Let's go scale that business. Welcome back to the Mad Couch Cast. Today, I am so excited because I have a very special guest on the podcast, and that would be my husband, Chris Gill. I am stoked to have him here. He owns his own creative agency. We get to work together on a daily basis because I am the project manager and director of operations inside of his business. And as a result, we really had to walk through a lot of this growing and scaling businesses together, which is really quite exciting. So open that notes app, get whatever drink you need, get settled in because you are going to love this. So I am super pumped for this episode, and I think we're going to have a really great conversation. But before we jump in, I just want you to introduce yourself in your own words, because uh, I have already given a whole intro and talked about you uh, a little bit. I've talked you up a bit. So mm-hmm. now you get to introduce yourself. Fun. Okay. So I'm Chris Gill. I am the owner of Brick Road Creative. I've been a professional graphic designer for about somewhere between 12 and 15 years now, and I've been the full-time owner of Brick Road Creative for going on six years now. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 it in a nutshell. So what Brick Road Creative is, we started out as pretty much a graphic design company, and then over the course of the last five years, we've really morphed into website design, development, and then really all things marketing-related. So whether that's organic search engine optimization, paid ads, yeah, all, all of the things. If it needs to look pretty, we do it. And so far as the business, you really take on the creative aspect, and I help you a lot more with the behind the scenes, strategic, operational stuff. So we get to really speak in to to what we're talking about today together, which is kind of fun. So we're going to talk all about the four biggest mistakes that we've made in business so far 
because life happens, right? And on the flip side, how to avoid making them or how to navigate them. Mistakes are really an important part of growth and failure is all about perspective. So let's jump right on into mistake number one, which is not talking to your potential clients about budget. Oh yeah, that's that's a that's a good one. So budget is like one of those things that's really hard for a lot of people to grab by the horns, if you will, and, and talk about. People find it really uncomfortable to talk about money, especially when you're brand new to the relationship. Like it almost feels like you're asking somebody or you're giving up some private piece of information when in the reality we're all in business to make and or spend money, right? I mean, so money is, you know, the saying money makes the world go round. I for a lot of years wasted a lot of hours writing proposals to clients without knowing if they could afford me or not. And, and it hit me one day after I think probably three or four proposals of I've spent, you know, two or three hours writing this proposal only for the client to go, oh gosh, you're really outside of my budget. When in all reality, all it would have taken on that initial discovery phone call is to say, hey, you know, based on kind of what you're telling me, um, you know, I think that we're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z, and I think it's going to cost somewhere between this amount and this amount. If that's within your budget, I'd love to write you a full proposal. Since I have adopted that mindset and kind of that workflow, which really doesn't even just apply to creatives, that can apply to any business across the spectrum. I have saved myself countless hours in writing proposals only for the people that are going to be happy with the proposal I written for them. It also alleviates a lot of stress of, okay, now I'm writing this proposal. Well, gosh, how, you know, is it too high? Is it too low? You know, what's, I don't really know what I'm doing here because I'm not sure what their budget is, uh, which just creates a whole nother avenue of stress that I don't need in my life. Well, and I think it's interesting because on the flip side, being the client in some, some cases, they don't want the ambiguity of not knowing budget either. If you just get it out into the open, both parties feel a little bit more comfortable, in my opinion. That's what I have seen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's that expectation factor, right? So if the client knows what to expect from you and you know that the client's expecting a certain product from you for a certain amount, again, it just kind of takes that whole question mark out of the equation. And now I can feel comfortable saying, all right, yeah, uh, for this project, it's going to cost somewhere between $5,500 and $6,500. Is that within your budget? If the client says yes, Great. Now I know exactly where I need to be to make that client happy. It's it's kind of like we haven't asked the client to commit to me yet. I'm just simply saying, hey, if somebody can provide a solution that you're looking for for this amount, does that fit your need? And if the answer is yes, great, we proceed. If the answer is no, then a lot of times I'll say, well, you know, uh, I understand that that's not in your budget. Here are maybe some other options or some other you know agencies, companies. I have friends that do a lot of freelance work. Hey, maybe one of these people would be able to help you out. So then that does a couple of things. It saves my reputation and not just it looks like I'm writing them off because they can't afford me. I'm still offering them a solution. Maybe in a couple of years when that client grows and they do well and they need something bigger or, you know, a new product that is more in, in their budget of what I'm charging, they'll come back to me. So again, it's, it's, it's about providing solutions, even if the solution isn't me. And I think that's really important because I know that I have seen time and time and time again, where you have had a client who has called you, they have not been right in your budget, and they've said, I just appreciate your honesty. If I need anything else in the future, I'm coming back. They have said those words, and I think that's really important because now you have this word of mouth where they're mm -hmm. going to also paint your business in a good light to other people. Yeah, well, and I mean, we're actually working on a project now where the client flat out told me we were $1,000 higher than 
all of the other bids, but they went and, and it was a thousand dollars outside of their price range, but they went with us anyway because they appreciated our transparency and honesty about what we were doing and, and what our services cost. All right. So along with that, we've talked about proposals a little bit. We're in the process of potential clients. Do you write the proposal? Yeah, we write the proposal just after we have confirmation of kind of a general scope of work and a general budget range. That's when we write our proposal. So the, the process will be the client fills out an intake form on our website. I call the client to ask, you know, some follow-up questions that'll help us write an accurate proposal. That's where I'll give them, you know, based on the general scope of work, here's the price range. Once they say yes, that is where I write the proposal. Because at that point, we have, again, overall idea of what the client needs, how much they're willing to spend for the solution to that problem. The proposal then is our kind of refined solution. At that point, we're kind of committing to a dollar amount to solve their problem. And you've probably also then asked them a lot more questions in the process to really dive down deep. You're not wasting your time. You're not wasting their time by giving them a proposal that's not in their budget. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the big thing is, so why spend any more time than you have to getting to that budget question? You need to be getting a budget range within 30 minutes of a discovery call. You know, if, if you're on a phone call for longer than that and you haven't talked about budget, you're just wasting time at that point. That 20 to 30 minute mark is crucial in that discovery call to get that number at least solidified, even if it's a range, even if it's a thousand dollar range of, you know, knowing where you need to be. Talking to potential clients about budget is one of the best things that you can do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it, and again, it just sets the tone for the whole future of the relationship. And it lets the client know that this is a business transaction. This is not about our friendship or, you know, and while relationships are important, the relationship is going to come later. Ooh, and I think that's a good segue into mistake number two, which is having an open-ended scope of work and budget. And this one is a little bit of a two-parter because I think sometimes we approach scope of work differently when we have a client we've worked with and when we have a client we haven't worked with. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually going to start with the client who we already have history with. I've got several clients that when they need projects done, they don't ask for a budget. They kind of know where we're going to be. They're happy with the quality of work we provide. They're going to pay the invoice regardless of, of what it is. I mean, it is a balancing act. So you've got a new client. You don't know how they work. They don't know how you work. One of the best things you can do is have a how we work document. Have your own process in place of all right, when we get done with content development, you need to sign this document saying we're done with this because that's going to ensure that we can move on to the next phase. Um, as far as putting a scope of work in place, again, balancing that scope of work and budget, it's just something that really comes with experience. You know, having done enough of project type A to understand where some of those pitfalls are going to be, identifying those. And again, this is, this is, that's a whole nother like sub chapter of mistakes in business is, is I being able to identify those pitfalls, right? If you run into an issue, man, take note, write it down, do something. If you've got a project management management system and this is the order of way we do things, if, if there's just something that kind of keeps coming up again and again, address it, put it in writing, you know, figure out what do we got to do to address this? How do you deal with scope creep? Because Ooh. it happens to us all it and does. scope creep is when changes are made to the project mid-project. So changes being made to the scope mid-project. How do you deal with that scope creep? Yeah, so we actually have a line in our proposal that says, here's what this proposal includes, and then we put it in writing, X, Y, and Z. And then I have a line right under that. I've bolded it and made it bigger that says, you know, if there's anything that happens outside of this scope of work, the final total may be subject to change. Most clients are going to gloss over that. They're not going to look at that. So how do we deal with that? 
if we get to a point in the project where we see, okay, this is starting to become more, they're asking us to do more things than what we originally bid for, just talk to the client. I know that sounds like super simple and a lot of people are afraid to do it, but it's, it's so much easier if you just pick up the phone or write an email or send a text, if that's how you're doing business and just say, Hey, just wanted to let you know the most recent set of changes you've asked us to do are a little outside of what we had budgeted for. We can do those, but it's going to cost X amount more to complete the changes in the time that you need them done. This, this one, just one of our core values is open communication and honesty. And I've found that to be a huge asset in our businesses, just keep people in the loop. You know, if clients are, know what's going on, they're a lot more understanding. They're a lot more willing to kind of roll with the punches and, and just hang in there and go along for the ride with you. And that's why it's so important to have the scope of work outlined in the beginning, because then you can go back to that scope of work and say, here's what we already have. Mm-hmm. Here's what we discussed. Yeah. Here's how we know when the project is done. This work is up and above and yeah. beyond that scope yeah. of work. So I know, too, when we do our process, at each step in the process, we put that reminder back in. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, we told you three months ago. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) Not that a project necessarily takes that long, but, you know, we told you a long time ago that this was going to happen, and then we don't talk about it again. That's not how we work. We put it in every step just as a reminder. When you sign off on this, you're saying this is done, and we're Mm -hmm. moving on. Yeah, pro tip, if you run into this situation where – you are having scope creep or changes that are out of scope or, or, you know, those types of things, put your response in writing. And if the project then has an extended timeline, it goes on for three months and, you know, the client says, well, hey, why is this bill so much higher than your estimate? Well, remember I talked to you about that? Yeah, but I didn't think it was this amount. Well, but I thought you said that eliminates all that. Put any time there is a budget discussion, put things in writing. And that's not to say don't have a phone call. But if you have a phone call, as soon as you're done with that call, write a recap email to the client and just say, hey, just so we're all on the same page and just so we all have this in writing, here's what we just talked about. That is the best. That has saved my skin so many times. It's also burned me a lot. Again, there's another mistake. This is not one of the ones we're talking about, but that's <laughs> something that a mistake that has bit me in the rear end a whole bunch is not having things in writing. My memory is awful. I'm, I've got so many irons in the fire with so many things. I don't remember what I said five minutes ago on the phone call. And you've even gotten after me about not taking, you know, somebody who's called and said, Hey, uh, we want you to do some work. Yep. And I give them a whole bunch of answers. And, and then you say, did I get contact information? And I say, no. <laughs> so put things in writing, put things in writing. Yes. So moving into mistake number three, Mm -hmm. which is something I think just about every business owner has done at some point in their life, (laughs) and that is apologizing for pricing before the client has even gotten the chance to respond. Oh my gosh, I have done this so many times, so many times. And, And the bad thing is it's like, it's one of those things, as soon as the words are out of my mouth, it just like hits me. I'm gonna give an example and then I'll, and then I'll kind of explain why I think I did this. So um, had a client call, ask for some work and we put a proposal together for them and they had some questions. So we're on a follow-up phone call with them and they hadn't even asked about price. They're just like, they had some questions about the work we were going to provide. And so then, you know, I, I'm on the call and I reiterate the price and I'm like, Hey, it's going to cost X amount. And then I immediately said, but you know, if that doesn't fit within your budget, you know, we can, we can work something out or, you know, if we need to lower that a little bit and blah, blah, the client didn't ask me to do that. I literally just offered to work for cheaper for no reason. And I think a lot of that stems from, there's a real popular term running around right now called imposter syndrome. And I think it comes from this mindset of, I'm not really worth what I'm charging people, or my work isn't really worth 
the number that I have put on this piece of paper. And guess what? As soon as you put out that insecurity, I just gave the client free reign to say, you know what? Yeah, that's not in our budget. We need to do that for a thousand less. And at that point, I probably would have taken it because I opened that door. You know, it's like putting toothpaste out of a tube. You can't, you can't put that back in. It's, it's done. That bell has been rung. So never mind. Just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, and I do. I think it comes out of this idea of imposter syndrome, where you know, it's just it's it's a mindset. It really is. So along that line, because I think that is a huge struggle, mm-hmm. and I would venture that most people have had to deal with that. What strategies have you used to overcome that imposter syndrome and confidently price your services with your clients? You have to be okay with not getting every job. I mean, that that may sound really, really, really simple. And I wish I could say that I came up with that all on my own. But there's a, a guy named Chris Doe that I really like uh, what he has to say. He's a creative that now educates other creative business owners and how to run their business. But basically, he said, you can't lose work that you didn't have. That job that I'm bidding, that's not income for me. I'm simply just having a conversation about whether or not this may come to fruition. And you have to be okay walking away from a job or a job walking away from you. And I think once you start to lower your prices, and we have seen this several times with with a couple of clients, Mm -hmm. and it's our own fault. We did it. But when we start to lower our prices, then they come to expect that they can always haggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I had one client. And I think it's just because of the industry he's in. Everything that they do with like their suppliers and the vendors is all on a negotiation basis. So I remember he, the first few projects he came to us with, he's, you know, I said, hey, we can do this for, I don't remember, 1200 bucks. I don't remember what it was. We can do it for $1,200. And he's like, well, would you do it for 900 And I went, eh, yeah, we can we can shave some time off that. We can maybe dial a few, you know, some of these features back that we were going to do. Yeah, we can, we can do it for 900 So the very next project he came to us, I gave him a price and he like immediately, like just right there, he's like, well, can you do it for less? And I paused and I went, no, I said, we really don't pad our prices. I bid based on the time that we think we're going to have in this. This is what it's going to take to get it done. And he wasn't mean about it. He wasn't even put off by it. As soon as I did that, then he was like, oh, okay, this is a client now that I've had for four and a half years. And since then, we've done a lot of work for them. And he has never once again offered or asked if I can do anything cheaper. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's that's just it. Know, know your worth. Be confident in that the price you're giving people is really what you value your work at. All right. So then mistake number four, which is probably one of the biggest lessons learned, mm-hmm. I think. And it's also one thing that I will preach till the day I die. But mistake number four is working with clients whose values don't align with yours. Yeah, this is this is huge and a lesson that I have learned the hard way. And it actually and honestly, this wasn't even something that was even in my cognitive wheelhouse, if you will. This wasn't even anything that I knew was a thing, right? Like, you know, client values versus, you know, my business values. I've got two examples. I've got the first example is we were working with a company on a website and it was a project that went on way, way, way too long. But we were working on this company on a website and it was revision after revision after revision. And essentially what it came down to is they wanted us to straight carbon copy somebody else's website. They became what we lovingly call pixel pushers. It was, hey, move this element three pixels to the right, use this hex code color on things. And basically they were micromanaging our services that we were supposed to be providing to them, which does not align with our values, you know. And again, copying somebody else's work does not align with our values. So I basically had to write them an email just saying, hey, we understand that you really admire this other website. You like what's going on, 
and that you basically want to take that and apply it to your brand and your product, but that's not something we're comfortable doing. That's not something we do. We are a custom design agency. Design is the service that we're bringing to the table and you're not allowing us to design. So if you want to go down this path, that's really great. We just can't go there with you. And so we, you know, at this point we'll say, you've already paid us to date for all the work we've done. We will gladly turn over all the assets of the project to you. And then you're welcome to go find another agency to help you complete this project. We did that. And the client immediately went, oh my gosh, you're right. We have been micromanaging you. We're so sorry. We're just going to let you do what you do. And then the very next iteration of the website we did, they were happy with, you know, end of story. I Uh, think it's interesting because I didn't realize this when we were setting up this podcast episode, but a lot of these money, budget, scope of work, it really comes back to communication Mm -hmm. and having that open communication. And if you're worried about bringing that that communication to your client, it's going to end up causing, it typically causes more problems than just being open and saying, here's the deal. Here's what it is. And that client goes, Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, and what, what us as creatives have a very hard time wrapping our head around is Clients aren't out to kill us. Like the clients, honestly, when they give the feedback they do, they're not designers. They are not experts in my field. So they simply just don't know. And a lot of times that open communication policy, you know, just educating them, you know, hey, here's why maybe you don't want to do that. And here's maybe what we propose instead. Offer solutions. Don't meet that with hostility. Never be hostile with a client if you can avoid it. Like that's, that's, that's a huge thing that took me a long time to learn is clients are not out to get me. You know, if there's something that I'm being asked to do that I'm not comfortable with, tell them, let them know, be like, hey, we're just not comfortable doing this. Or it's even something because I know when you have built my website and I have asked for things, you are like, yeah, we don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Here's why. And I go, oh, I didn't even know that. Or I didn't even understand that that would be an issue. Like the difference between if I do this on desktop, it's going to look really dumb on mobile. Mm-hmm. Those things, I didn't think about it because I just simply didn't know. Right. Yeah. And that's the, it's the exact same approach with clients. Sometimes they just don't know. Mm-hmm. And it, it's that simple. That's why they come to you. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's example number one. Example number two was I did have a client who there were some red flags from the get go, but you know, I didn't see them and you know, hindsight's 2020. I didn't see the red flags until after we were all said and done with the story I'm about to tell. But we got into this website design project with this client. It was a big client. They had a lot of managers, a lot of people with input into this project. And it became very clear very early on that they were treating us more or less like an employee and not like the professionals that we were. They were they were basically just asking us to do things and then saying, well, just do it. I know there was one thing where it's like they were asking us to do something that was blatantly breaking their site and hindering our progress. And even though we told them that this was the case, they were still insisting on it anyway. There, there was just a lot of back and forth in there. Well, the, the project kind of came to a, a boiling point. There was a lot of friction, a lot of tension, and we actually hopped on a call with the CFO who was just like beyond upset about the total invoice, that it was like double our proposal. And when I went through and explained, well, here's why, it was one of those situations where we had discussed with the project manager over there, hey, these changes you've asked for are out of scope and it's going to cost a lot more. Their response to me was, we want to do this right, so whatever it costs to do it. That was not in writing. It was a Zoom call that we weren't recording. And so I had that in the back of my head. 
Well, when the rubber met the road at the end of the project and I submitted the invoice, the CFO went through the roof about the cost. Because she wasn't privy to that conversation. She wasn't privy to that conversation. And the person that we had been dealing with over there basically didn't own up to that conversation or she just flat out didn't remember it. That may be the gospel truth. She just didn't remember saying those words to me. Either way, I didn't have it in writing. I didn't back it up. So at that point, I realized the relationship, the Zoom call was not was not super pleasant. Um, and so immediately after that Zoom call, I basically wrote him an email saying, we're sorry, there's so much friction here. We're going to remove the overcharges. We're going to excuse ourselves from the project. We're going to turn over everything to you. You're free to go find another designer. That was a situation where I did not offer to stay with them. I, I let them know very kindly, you know, in very professional words, this is not working. So for the sake of our reputation, for the sake of, you know, I don't want there to be any more bad blood, let's just agree to part ways. The truth is there's just going to be some companies you're not going to gel with. There's just going to oh, be yeah. some companies that don't hold the same values as yours. And that's, that's just life. I mean, you walk up to somebody on the street, they're not always going to have the same values as you. Right. Yeah. So the thing about having a business that you own is that you get to really decide who you work with. Mm-hmm. I made a decision very, very early on in the ownership of Brickard Creative is I'm not going to work with somebody that doesn't respect my expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- and that's really what we ran into with that second client is they simply did not respect what we had to say. And that, that was ca- that's what was causing the friction. And that's, that's kind of when we decided to part ways. So along those lines, what can happen if you choose to hold on to a client longer when it's been clear that your values don't align? Oh, yeah. So uh, I had a client who started off as a fantastic client. They had a really good budget. They paid their invoices on time. For the most part, they let us do what they'd hired us to do, which was be their creative agency. And then they had some leadership changes, staff changes, which we've all, you know, worked with the person we were working with is no longer there. Things happen. The relationship started to go south pretty quick. I saw the writing on the wall, but because I prioritized the money they were spending over the good working relationship, the emails, the phone calls, all of the exchanges just started to get more and more sour. I literally began to dread seeing their name pop up in my inbox or their number appear on my phone because I knew without even picking up the phone or opening the email, I knew it was going to be negative. Like they were, they were after me about something or they've, they're unhappy about something. And so that just kind of became the entire nature of the relationship. And so, because I prioritized the monetary aspect of, of what they were spending with my company over the values aspect Man, it added just a ton of stress, unnecessary stress to my workday, to my office, you know, to the rest of my team. If you hold on to that relationship, it can really damage your reputation. And whether it's warranted or not, in that client's mind, I was not a good person to work with. We were not a good company to work with because this had, relationship had gone sour because I had allowed it to go sour. I know I, you and I even talked about a year before we actually severed ties with them. I told you, it's like, oh, I, w- I just need to cut them loose. Like, this is not working. They need they need to go find a different agency. You know, they need to find somebody who's going to work more in line with what they're asking to have done, whatever the reason is. But because I didn't do that, it just got more and more and more and more and more degraded to the point of, I am sure they're not referring anyone to me. I'm not referring anyone to them, whereas that could probably have been avoided if at the time I realized that this was not working out, if I'd have just said, hey, I understand that this is how you guys want to work. This is not how we work. Let's just agree to disagree and and move our separate ways. 
probably could have saved some personal relationships, some professional relationships, but that's probably the biggest danger of holding onto a client longer than you should is just the reputation damage that can happen. And I think that there is some value too. If you are, are dreading that conversation a little bit, but you know, odds are, you know, someone else in your space, mm-hmm. right? And if that conversation comes up, there is nothing all wrong with saying, Hey, listen, this is not working out. I think that we're not the best fit for you anymore. Right. So here's some other people that may be a better fit for you. Hmm. Then they also feel like they're being taken care of and you, they feel like you are still supporting them even as you bless and release. Yep. Oh, oh, 100%. 100%. And again, what can they possibly say negative about you at that point? If, if, you know, you are as professional as you can be and you can just, again, you don't have to say you're an awful person or you, you did this wrong, you know, and, and I'm very careful in those emails that I write when, you know, those dear John emails, I like to call them. If it comes to that point, I never, ever point out the problems ever. It's, it is simply, we're just not agreeing on this. That's like the harshest any of those emails have ever gone because I don't want there to be anything that anyone over there can point to to be like, well, he was just angry or he was difficult to work with. It's all about that reputation management in those instances. So then here comes the really interesting question. How do you balance the need to make a profit with the desire to maintain your values? They're like, listen, I got to make some money. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, What do I do? Yeah, that's hard. And I don't know if there is a right or wrong answer to this. I think ultimately what it comes down to is something I said earlier, you have to be willing to let a client go. If money is the driving force of your business, and this is going to sound so counterintuitive, if money is the primary driving force of your business, that's where I have found a lot of those culture clash clients. Woohoo, say that four times fast. Culture clash clients come from money is a priority over my sanity. Right. Like, I mean, there was a time even just a couple years ago where it's like, I'm coming home. I'm stressed. I'm burnt out. I'm like, is this even am I even doing the right thing? It's because I was working with some of those clients that were just sapping all of my energy, all of my my joy out of my job. And so really, I guess what you have to decide is how much is your happiness worth to you? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think there's a a second aspect of that that is you're going to have to expend some effort. Are you Mm -hmm. going to use that effort to maintain the relationships you don't want? Or are you going to use your effort to find someone new who does fit into your values? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I think that's a good point. And usually it's less, usually it's less time consuming. It's less energy draining when you're finding the new people that identify with you because you can hone your message to them Mm. versus trying to spend all your time making sure that that one client doesn't go away. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think it just, it, comes down to priorities. It really does. You know, mm-hmm. you got, you have to make sure that, yes, I mean, at the end of the day, we all have to make money, right? We all have bills to pay. We all, you know, all, all of the things. But if it's just coming down to, you know, you're working with people that don't respect you, that don't, you know, that stress you out, at some point you're going to get burned out. And so I think you're absolutely right. You need to take that effort instead of spending it on those people that you maybe aren't the best fit for, use that effort and try and find somebody that is a good fit for you. Release the okay things mm-hmm. for the great things. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So now we're going to talk a little bit about a bonus tip here <laughs> because this isn't necessarily a mistake, but it is something that as we have conversed about this before, that it is so important, especially as a creative. Mm-hmm. The bonus tip is not giving out your hourly rate. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, why? <laughs> 
so I do get phone calls every now and again, and people want to know what our hourly rate is. So specifically, this comes up with like website maintenance. So people are looking, you know, to have us take over their website, maintain the website. Well, what's our hourly rate? We don't give out our hourly rate ever. I have an hourly rate. I know what it is. And I think you have, you and I've talked about this. You have to have an hourly rate because you have to know how many hours of billable work a day do I have to do to be productive, to be profitable. I mean, you have to know that. Um, but our clients don't know what that hourly rate is and they never will because that's an internal metric. So here's what I tell people. I say, we don't give out our hourly rate. We're project-based pricing. You know, you come to us, you ask us to do a project. I give you a price on what I think it'll take to accomplish that. Or we do have some retainer scenarios set up with some clients where for X amount of money of, you know, a month, we agree to do this scope of work. So it's not ours. It's just this scope of work. Here's the danger of, of giving out your hourly rate. You're fresh out of college or you're, you know, fresh out of, you know, whatever. You've taken some online courses. You're, you're, hit, you're coming into the world. Your hourly rate's $20 an hour. Well, because you're still pretty green, you're still pretty new, it's going to take you maybe 10 times longer to do the same project that I can do in two hours, but my hourly rate is six, seven times what yours is. So in the end, the cost isn't really that much different. It's just that I work really efficiently because I have the experience to know what works, what doesn't work. I've, I've, I don't, I'm not spending as much time in the exploratory phase of design because, again, I have that experience, that kind of library of go-to things that I like to do built up. But here's the big thing, and I, I've actually told this to people on the phone, and I'm pretty sure this has lost me some work, and I'm okay with that. As I said, you know, I said, well, we don't give out our hourly rate, and I said, honestly, my hourly rate doesn't really mean anything to you. I said, I can give you my, I could tell you that my hourly rate's $200 an hour. But I said, honestly, you don't know how long it takes me to do anything. You know, I mean, I, I tell people this nicer, right? I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm, I'm not this mean on the phone, I promise. <laughs> but I mean, the reality is that client has no idea how long it takes me to work. So I could say, yep, I work for $200 an hour. And that thing you just asked me to do is going to take six hours. Well, how do they know if it takes me six hours or not? What if I get it done in an hour and I still send them a bill for six hours worth of work at $200 an hour? Well, and then on the flip side, they also say, it shouldn't have taken you six hours. It should yeah. have taken you three. Yeah, that's... I'll pay you three, you know. Yeah. So there's a lot of danger with that, actually. There is. There's a lot of danger with hourly rate. Now, there are some industries where the hourly rate is accepted. Lawyers, accountants. VAs. VAs, and, and that's fine. But in the creative field, that's some of the dangers of giving out your hourly rate is now clients are dictating how long you should be spending on projects. Mm-hmm. As we have talked in our business just on a day-to-day basis, we've mm-hmm. come up with these things, these four mistakes, plus this little bonus tip here. And we have discussed the importance, and I had to have it on the podcast because I thought this is going to be really relatable. But as we close out this episode, what is one action someone can take today to help move their business forward? Mm. I would say probably the biggest thing is know where you're spending your time time track. Um, I think so many people don't realize where all their time is going or how long it actually takes you to do tasks. And, and this goes for, you know, again, I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm still horrible about tracking my time on some things. I, I think that's an actionable thing you can do. And there are so many free tools out there that can help you do that. Just knowing where are you spending your time? How profitable are you? I mean, that that's a huge thing, right? And that's, that's a mistake that I have made and continue to make over and over again is, I spent eight hours at the office today. Well, what did I do? Mm, about an hour and a half of billable work. Well, where'd the rest of the time go? <laughs> um, so again, knowing that, I think that's that's an actionable thing that's very, it sounds simple, but I think it's very, very, very important 
for people to do. And again, that time tracking is going to feed everything from, you know, project management, whether you're using ClickUp or Monday, you know, Dubsado, whatever. Know, know what your time is worth. So to kind of feed on that last mistake we were talking about, know what your time is worth. And tracking time is going to help you do that. Well, and when you realize, okay, I just spent 20 hours this month writing proposals and we had a rate of a closing rate of 25%, mm-hmm. there's a problem. Right. Yeah. And, and then you can dive into that. And I like to say, and I've said it several times on the podcast before, but your data tells a story. And when you, when you're able to see all of that lined out for you, you can say, okay, here's the problem. Yeah. And then devise a solution to fix it. And you didn't know I was going to say this because I didn't actually know what your tip was going to be. So that was kind of exciting. But if you want a really simple way to track your time, I have in the show notes, I'll put the link, but I have just a really simple Google Sheets document where you Mm. can go in and input on an hourly basis for the week what you do during the day. Yeah, love it. And it'll be just, it's really simple. You can use something else if you want, but if you're just like, man, I need something right now, print it out, keep it on your computer, whatever you want to do, just click the link in the show notes. All right, so thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. I'm sure you'll show up on many more. Probably. I, you have a lot of valuable things to say. What can I say? <laughs> I, I I often joke, this is why I keep you around, right? Can I have that little soundbite you just said about that I have a lot of valuable things to say? <laughs> can, I, can I use that later? We're married. <laughs> Reminder, we're married. And um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to close out the episode now so I don't say any more things that are recordable. <laughs> All right. So for anybody who wants to find you, they want to see your portfolio, they want to work with you, where can they find you at? Yeah, so our website is brickroad.com. It's B-R-Y-C-K-R-O-A-D.com. That's got all of our contact info on it. You can run through our estimate builder form. You can kind of see all of our services. We've got a good, what I want to say, little sprinkling of our portfolio on there. So you can kind of see the type of work we do, the type of clients we work with. That's, yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of us. Yep, if it, if it needs to look pretty, we'll do it. I mean, I've, I've designed <laughs> feature walls for businesses, environmental design, yeah, brand development, messaging, copywriting. All the things. Yep, all, anything creative, visually, communication, we do it. All right, so we'll talk to you later. Thank you again for joining me today. I hope this episode was able to provide value and some encouragement as you pursue big things. If you enjoyed what you heard or if you got something useful from today's episode, we'd love for you to leave a review or share this episode with someone in your circle. And if you'd like to connect with others who are on the same journey as you, join my free Facebook community. Have an amazing week full of success. And until next week, enjoy your time.